0: Welcome to Life and Leadership. I believe in creating community, connections, and creating space to be curious. This podcast aims to take you on a conscious journey through quality, diverse, innovative content and conversation. My hope is that we create a circle of influence, a transcendency of compassionate leadership in the world and wider universe. Welcome to Reflections on the Full Panorama of the Present or the Paranoia of Your Pondering. This episode builds on the foundation of where you are in life and leadership. Consider Are you living in the full panorama of the present or are you living in the paranoia of your pondering? I believe in having conversation around less discussed topics. Let's contemplate vulnerability, resilience, and recovery. Have you ever felt like you are searching for something? That feeling of seeking, running, or just plain exhausted by all the drama and troubles that dog your heel. Society accepts efforts focused on short-term relief, maybe through drink, drug, food, lovers, or online entertainment. There are many avenues of choice. Few know about being internally addicted. That is dosing your body's chemicals like adrenaline or cortisol. We can easily substitute one addictive behavior or addictive attitude for another. Yet none of this gives you serenity, security, or safety. Recovery is one process which enhances, and if needed, creates a foundation to rebuild your life and career. In my experience, 12-step programs provide the groundwork to support your growth as a healthy, engaged member of community and as a leader. You can discover who you are now and choose to change. Learn to nourish your assets and relationships. Reduce those defects that impact those around you and attract trouble. Here's what you'll find inside this episode of Life and Leadership, a conscious journey. Vulnerability. I will share my own story and experience of 12-step programs. Guests will share their experience with recovery and their story. Resilience. Many have reached low points in their lives. An identity crisis hit rock bottom, relapse to some degree with addictive behaviors or attitudes. In the rooms, you have a place for hearing and sharing wisdom, experience, and hope. I have had this opportunity and I'm very grateful. Recovery. You are a social being. A respectful, truthful community matters. Choose to be around people committed to recovery, open to sharing their experience, who respect themselves and are willing to do service. This provides you with a supportive place to share your story. You deserve the opportunity to give and receive encouragement. Find a place where you can experience hope and acceptance. There will be a list of resources in the show notes. I celebrate and acknowledge those willing to take the path of recovery. Join me for a conversation. Welcome to Renew, Refresh, Repair and Rebuild. This episode in Life and Leadership, A Conscious Journey, builds on the foundation and focuses on where you currently are. This episode is part of the series From Discovery to Recovery. I believe in having conversations around less discussed topics. This topic is around the isms. Christopher Dines describes isms as the transference of addictive patterns and dysfunctional behaviours as being intergenerational. Let's contemplate vulnerability, resilience, and recovery, and what it encompasses. The gift of desperation, learning to live with a family member or friend who loves substances or unhealthy behaviors more than you, turning pain into perspective. What to do when you feel like you have a hole in your soul. September is known as Recovery Month in America. It's held annually to educate about substance use, treatment and mental health services, all in an effort to aid living a healthy and rewarding life. I celebrate and acknowledge those willing to take the path of recovery. I appreciate the service in the rooms of 12-step programs. I am grateful for the recovery I have experienced from participating in these programs. Mind you, I used to think, hmm, or never happen to me or those I love. Whether you have a family history of addiction or even a personal history, both with addiction or no personal drug use, information around this topic is essential. The use of addictive substances and behaviours have grown as a global public health concern. Are we sadder and sicker? Well, consider the latest bare facts and figures from the World Health Organization. There are some 31 million persons who have a drug use disorder. Almost 11 million people inject drugs. The harmful use of alcohol results in 3.3 million deaths annually. It's estimated that 350 million gamblers and gamers Evidence problematic behaviour patterns. The world's population is close to 8 billion as of the 30th of June 2020. Internet users are closing in on 5 billion people. Excessive forms of media or entertainment use, such as video gaming, social networking, or the use of social network sites, are causing an impact. The World Health Organization decided to include the addictive use of digital games and gaming disorder as a diagnosis in the international classification of disease. Note, internet addiction disorder and gaming disorder are not the same thing. I will be covering these topics in another episode in the series, From Discovery to Recovery. Health-related quality of life data tells us that directly or indirectly you are vulnerable to addictive behaviors and attitudes either your own or someone else's fortunately there is a robust recovery community available online and offline there are 12 step or non 12 step meetings they offer hope and a sense of home for those living with desperation and despair keep in mind there are multiple pathways to well-being for the family and or The addict. One well known and well established program is Alcoholics Anonymous. This program is for people suffering from alcohol abuse or addiction. The only requirement is a desire to stop drinking. There are 12 step or non 12 step meetings that offer hope and a sense of home. There are multiple pathways to well being. Keep that in mind as we explore the stories of people who are conscious stewards in the space of discovery to recovery. Today I have Thad H. with us. I believe in having conversations around less discussed topics. I like to contemplate vulnerability, resilience, and recovery. And Thad is joining me on a conversation around discovery to recovery. Thad, would you like to just share a little bit about yourself?
1: Sure, thank you. I'm a 58-year-old male. I've been free of alcohol and drugs now for over 28 years. I've had um, a diverse life of opportunity and joy in the last almost three decades, uh, very different from uh, what the previous three decades was like for me. And, uh, you know, I'm a grandfather, a father. Um, I have a wonderful partner in my life. I have uh, a life that really is very rich and beyond anything that I would have imagined uh, 30 years ago. We can talk a little bit about um, what it was like for me to begin. You know, I like to make a joke that I was born into a family that uh, adored me and put me on a pedestal. I was a uh, firstborn son of my parents and, you know, very much um, raised uh, to be loved and extolled and, and very precious. But there was always something missing. And uh, in many ways, I went to boarding school at the age of 10, but I discovered alcohol around the age of 13. And that gave me um, a solution to the only way I've I've, I've ever been able to describe it is that hole that was in my soul, feeling very much outside of to feeling very much part of something. And it was hanging out with other people doing the same thing. And that began a career that went on for another almost 17 years of uh, doing various um, substances like this, but more around um, constantly seeking. And in that constantly seeking of use of substances, I also sought spiritual outcomes and looked for connections with other people. I would try various substances to help me get closer connections with others or spirit or whatever I would see. And I can look back now and see that. But at around 17, I had a, a, a girlfriend I was very fond of, very much what I thought at 17, you're very much in love. And uh, she, Basically, looked at me and said, "You know, you love alcohol and drugs more than you could ever love me, and it's just not going to work. And you need to find help." And I just looked at her and I went, nah, "You don't know what you're talking about. I'm good, and I don't need anybody to tell me what to do." And you know, 13 years later, I found myself very much deeper and darker. I like to describe it that I found uh, a very dark, lonely place. And it's ironic that I go from that point at 17, I finished high school. Um, I go and work in construction and um, found myself training to be an apprentice mason. I was very much involved as a member of the union. I worked along with my shop steward. I was fortunate. I can look back now. The mason I was training under convinced me to go to school. But at the same time, I was doing a lot of heavy drinking. And, you know, I was I was making a ton of money working in construction. But I eventually followed, went off to university and I failed. I flunked out. My freshman year was I was party boy during fr- Frost Week, and uh, I just didn't stop for the rest of the year. And the school just invited me to withdraw. And then I did a course of got out with an associate's degree and then went off to university in the United States. I didn't stop the partying, I almost didn't make it through. But by the grace of God, and really by The skin of my teeth, I managed to get out. even though I had a 3.0 average, it was at a point where the school someone looked at me and went, you know, you're really not getting this, you know, Um, because I was missing classes, I was doing a bunch of other things that was associated with just partying, but I managed to get through, got an undergraduate degree, came back and enrolled in a graduate program, got a master's degree, got a job working at one of our financial institutions, got promoted quickly through, but All during all of this, there was a lot of drinking and a lot of other substances that were going on. I remember being called into my boss's boss' boss. So the big chief called me into the office one day and said, uh, I observed you uh, recently at lunch. Matter of fact, it was yesterday. And um, I think you may have a drinking problem, which was a flag to me. And he said, I don't think it's normal to drink six beers at lunch. And not eat anything. I looked at him and I went, "Well, I was just waiting for food and it didn't come. I was just thirsty, so I had a couple more beers." He says, "Then you came back to work," and I went, "Oh, well, yeah, you know, but I was okay. I thought I was fine. I did not think that was abnormal." He apparently thought that was a problem. And about two months later, I gave my notice and quit because I wasn't going to work for someone that thought I had a drinking problem. How dare he! And I went to work with one of my drinking buddies for about five years. That led to a, a steady declined my drinking got worse but i was working in captive insurance i was being groomed when we hit a glitch in the insurance but i i had all the outward experiences of success but inwardly i was constantly trying to stuff something to feel something and it was just breaking down my marriage was not good my relationship with everyone around me just didn't feel right even the dog didn't trust me the dog was just skittish and uh on the uh Basically, it came down to the weekend of the 4th of July, 1992, where I was given an ultimatum after a boat cruise in which I was in charge of the liquor but forgot to order food for this cruise. And uh, not a thing that I'm proud of, but I did not. I just more concerned about getting alcohol on board the boat and not realizing that there were kids there, including my own and that sort of thing. So anyway, um, came down an ultimatum, either change or we're getting divorced. And I thought, well, whatever. You know, this is this is not working. But I reached out eventually. took a couple of days. That was on the 3rd of July, 4th of July. And so on the 6th of July, I reached out to somebody and met him on the 7th of July. And I met a man that I knew didn't drink. I didn't really understand why he didn't drink, but I thought maybe he had a magic solution. And he was someone I admired. He was quite successful. He was intellectual and smart. We had a lot of philosophical discussions because we'd worked together at one point. So I admired a lot of the things that he was. And he seemed to be a very grounded individual. So uh, we met for lunch. He looked at my knees and my hands and my elbows who were all scraped up from my last drinking fiasco. And he told me he hadn't had a drink in 27 years. And I looked at him and I went, oh, oh, you know, I don't think it's that. All I wanted to do was tell me I didn't have a problem. Everyone else around me was crazy. He told me a story about how he found a way out. And maybe I'd be interested. And that began a path of moving from being in that dark place, what is is referred to in a a source text as that jumping off point, where I didn't want to drink anymore, but I didn't know how to stop. And it is inexplicable to me to even to this day, after meeting that man for lunch, sharing a sandwich and having a a soda, that I went home that night for the first time in my entire adult life, I didn't go to the fridge and get a beer. That was the first day I didn't have a drink. And I haven't had one since. And the only thing I can put it down to is I sat down with someone else who told me that I wasn't the problem, that he didn't blame me, didn't accuse me, didn't tell me I needed to stop, just told me this is what he did, and I looked and respected him. And I began one foot in front of the other, one day at a time, beginning a path of of this discovery of self, which I really had no idea who I was. And that, as I said, was on the 7th of July, 1992. And the reason I remember that date, because that's the day I consider that I really found a rebirth, that I went from a life of sadness, lack of emotion, and a life that was really not satisfactory, even though I had all the successful trappings. I, you know, just by putting the cork in the jug and beginning this process of recovery, um, and I found other people who I could talk to who who were on a similar journey. And through that similar journey, we began to form uh, a community. we will call it a fellowship, gave me the support. And then I was given the structure of of a program to follow that I've never regretted following that program. And that program has taken me into the depths of where I have been wrong and where I've harmed others and has helped me find a spiritual life. I mean, it's um, finding where I was powerless over alcohol and that my life was as a result of that had become unmanageable and there's a way of looking at that it's not that my life was already unmanageable but drinking exacerbated that unmanageability and then finding uh i i at this point in my life in 92 i considered myself an intellectual atheist i had no concept of a god or spirituality even though i had books on it and i'd studied theology and i'd been a devout Christian, as a teen, as, a, as 10, 11, 12 years old, I had no sense of a way out. So through working what we'll call the steps and finding a way through this unmanageability and powerlessness of finding the solution, I began to find um, there was a power greater than myself that I could be comfortable with the concept of God. And I was given some instructions. And I honestly think if I was told at that point, because I had what we, what I'll refer to as the gift it has been told to me, the gift of desperation, mm-hmm. in that I was sick and tired. I didn't, I was in that dark place where not wanting to drink and wanting to drink and really drinking what wasn't working. And mm-hmm. it left mm-hmm. me really bereft and lonely. I could be in a bar and feel like no one was there. Mm-hmm. And I was a bar drink. In that recovery, um, I found a way through and, you know, found that, that higher power, which um, is easy to call God because it's a breath, but it's more than I could ever comprehend. Mm-hmm. And it's not that God of my childhood, which was angry and vengeful and threw down lightning bolts, sort of a combination of Yahweh and Zeus, sort of um, more of a kinder, gentler spirit of the universe. And that's been an evolution over the last 28 years. But, you know, through that process um, of letting go of my own self-expectations and finding that I could actually be who I really wanted to be and not be what other people wanted. I mean, I got given a saying and I wrote it down in that first month of recovery. They said, what other people think of me is none of my business. Mm -hmm. And that became a keystone to the freedom that I was seeking and that I know I I could choose to worry what other people thought, or I could choose to be free to still act with, and I I stole this from a meditation book, um, kindness, compassion, and consideration towards others. Mm -hmm. And if I could do that kindness, compassion, and consideration, then I was free to make my own choices, Mm -hmm. but always remember to act with kindness, act with compassion and act with consideration. Mm -hmm. And, I never forgot that, and I heard that again in the first couple of months of recovery. In a meditation, group in a in part of a meditation, and a meeting I was attending, and that became again what other people think of me is none of my business. Kindness, compassion, consideration, and then I began to work with uh, a sponsor, a mentor, who helped me understand how to find this key, this this way out, this solution. And within a year, I was changing jobs. I moved from being a an accountant in an exempt company, a job that I was adequate at, not really good. But let me say that when I was drinking, I was was about a year to 18 months behind on accounting deadlines. I stopped drinking. I only worked 35 hours a week. I went went from working 60 hours a week to only working 35 hours a week. And I got ahead of all my deadlines within six months. Uh So there was a productivity that I didn't have as a result of the anesthetic I was constantly consuming. So I I changed careers, um, went to work as a mediator, following um, really my passion that I'd found when I was 17, 18, 19, working in construction, working along with Mm -hmm. unions, and that began a whole new career for me in terms of being in that apex of service, which is really what is the keystone of recovery to me is that recovery and service to others, and it's in that to thine own self be true. And I found my way into this. And it has just continued to expand. It has given me an opportunity to be of service to others. And being in this almost three decades, 28 plus years of not using and not drinking, I found myself um, working with other men. I found myself being put in positions of trust that I didn't think I would be ever allowed to do that because I didn't think I was trustworthy. I didn't think I, I didn't want anyone to look behind the curtain because I didn't like what was there. And I mm-hmm. learned um, by working through this program to find a way of being removed of shame, mm-hmm. you know, fear, facing everything and recover. Mm-hmm. And, you know, to have a life without shame of my past, but recognizing my past becomes my greatest asset that I can work with others. Mm-hmm. It's just like. That man on the the 7th of July, 1992, shared with me his experience, his strength, and his hope and told me what he'd done for 27 years. I get to have that same opportunity Mm to tell others. And then we have the axiom of practicing these principles in all our affairs, Mm -hmm. which means that in a nutshell, help others, act with kindness, compassion, and consideration, be of maximum use to our fellow man in that it's truly the freedom is to sit there and be a part of the community, in that um, I have a community that supports me, but in turn I get to give back to a community. And even it, it can be small, but it can also be the macro, because there's a, I'll never remember, remember it quite, but it was, I think it was an archbishop in medieval England that had an inscription on his tombstone that sort of went, I thought I could change the world, and so I tried to, you know, Change my community. I tried to change my country. I tried to change my family, and none of them would have. But the minute I started to change myself, I found my family began to change. I found my community began to change, and who knows, maybe I had an impact upon my greater community. And um, it's that the power of one individual in that acting with the principle of service. And we often confuse service with servitude. And service is in every role that we're invited, whether we're part of a committee, we're we're put in charge to be a chairman or a chair of committee or being given greater responsibilities and that always remember that we're there of service. I love the model that I was given of the inverted pyramid and in that anyone is put into a position of a trusted servant is never really in charge and that the pyramid's inverted mm-hmm. and that mm-hmm. they're they're responsible to all of those that put them there. So, you know, it's been a journey of self-discovery over the last 28 plus years. In, uh, going from really at the age of 30, not having an idea of where I was going, what was going to happen, being in constant fear of being found out, of having to sneak drinks just and thinking that I needed the drink just to stay calm, that it was two drinks just to keep the demons quiet. And to sit here today and go, I get to breathe. You know, I have a practice of daily meditation. I have um, an opportunity where I'm in constant communication with several people from all walks of life that nourish me on a spiritual basis in that I'm rewarded by who they are. I get to move in what would be deemed to be closed circles in that I, I'm not excluded because I don't want to be. You know, I don't go where I'm not invited. Because I'm not invited, we're, we're good. Um, and it doesn't aggravate me. It doesn't, but the outcome and the, the impact is far greater than anything I could imagine. And I've, I've been called on in, in, in my lifetime to be in various roles that have um, blown me away. And they're on the international circuit as well as the local circuit, um, I've been invited to be a keynote speaker to let go of all of the shame, the fear, and the prejudices that I carried. And as a result, Creator has given me more than I ever would have wished for. I have a life far better than anything I would have dreamt for myself 28 years ago. I have done more things and and seen more and have had more joy. And I have to say, you know, it's the losses I've experienced have been the gains. Like the death of my mother, I thought that was horrible, but when she died in 1999... But it has also been one of the greatest gifts in that it gave me another freedom and another opportunity to share that grief. So when other people are having grief, I can say, yes, I understand. And that's another gift, is that I can't talk outside of my own experiences. I can't share someone else's experience and claim it as my own. And I love that. And I learned that by working the program. uh, And from members of the fellowship who taught me that the only thing I really have is my own experience. And if I stated that, I can't go wrong. I've never been able to tell you or anyone else someone else's story because it's inauthentic. So authenticity has come as a result of the joy and the freedom that I've been granted so readily. The story just keeps unfolding. You know, I do believe that probably the greatest sin we have is interfering in someone's spiritual growth. The second one is interfering in our own and that uh, we need to stay out of our own way long enough to see the joy, and, you know, that's what I meant by what the outcomes are and that I can't control those outcomes, but I can be part of that solution and be of use.
0: Bad, thank you very much. You've done a huge service being Wisdom, Strength, and Hope on this podcast, and the topic is so important, and I'm very grateful. Thank you.
1: Thank you so much for inviting me, and, um, you know, love you big time. You're an amazing woman.
0: Thank you. I have been blessed by my experience in a number of programs. I'll share some of the insights and gifts gained by embracing multiple pathways to wellbeing. Al-Anon is the program for family, friends, and allies of those whose lives are impacted by escalating problematic behavioral patterns by people who are important to them. The Al-Anon program gave me help and hope I discovered this 12-step program last century. I had little insight and knowledge around addictions. Although I had grown up in an alcoholic home and family, it was my normal. Unbeknownst to me, my vulnerability stemmed from generations who'd gone before me. Recreating this experience in my relationships served up some difficult learning for years. Fortunately, I don't shy away from the opportunity to grow. Also, at this time, I had done a family genogram. Quite the experience. And shocker, my family tree had generations of alcoholics in it. The impact on my family lives on through cellular memory and playing out in intergenerational trauma. A friend suggested at Alanon. I thought she was crazy. Then I started going to meetings and got to know my own crazy. Becoming a grateful member of the Alanon family group was at first filled with denial, at least for 10 years. There were some darker years of heartbreak ahead of me, dealing with the maddening effects of the disease of alcoholism on me and those around. Then, more years of gaining wisdom through doing the 12 steps and becoming willing to sponsor newcomers. What I learned. Awareness. Plus action. Equals change. Be smart. Read the literature. Go to meetings. Get a sponsor early. That might mean you work with someone online or offline. Wherever the best place for you is, start. The 12 steps immediately. It's scary, I know, but cha cha cha. Step one is about honesty. Step two taught me about faith. And step three showed me the serenity. Of surrender.
2: God, grant us the serenity to accept the people we cannot change, courage to change the one we can, and wisdom to know that that one is us, ourselves.
0: Grant us the patience for the changes that take time and appreciation for all that we have, tolerance for those with different struggles and the strength to get up and try again one day at a time. I'm now going to talk with Claire M about Al-Anon. And we're wondering, are you living in the full panorama of the present or the paranoia of your pondering? Let's look at discovery through vulnerability, resilience, and recovery. And I'm going to welcome Claire M, who is a member of the Al-Anon family groups. Yes, I am a very grateful Al-Anon
2: member. It was the vulnerability, the powerlessness that um, led me first to Al-Anon. I believe I had got to a position of absolute unmanageability and it was not a very pleasant feeling. I met people there who um, took me in and were very kind, um, but I was very mistrustful of people. By this time, I've been a lot in that paranoia that you mentioned, I was very, very frightened, but they showed me principles. They were actually written on the walls and they gave me literature that I could read when I, in my own time. And so it was those things that I could learn to trust and I could look at other people and see that they weren't where I was, they had moved into a sort of sunlight It was like I needed to be invited to this picnic that life should be instead of where I was, where I was hyper-reactive. My sponsor, so they gave me a sponsor. My sponsor said to me, Claire, can I just point out to you how your attention is always Going to the other person. But we in Alanon want to remind you that it's you you can change. And slowly but surely, with their kindness and this gentle guidance, I started to see my error. I was looking outside me for a solution within me. And it was that that led me to a concept really of a higher power, that I had got it all backwards. In the steps it refers to God, myself, and another human being. Well, I got another human being up front. I got somewhere God was in the background, and myself was an absolute dilemma. I was, it was a complete mystery. I had totally lost myself. Actually, I've heard the expression being beside yourself. That would have described my condition exactly. And it's now that I look back on it that I can see the position clearly. My immediate thought was that these people can't help me because they don't know how to change him, them, or whatever. But they actually did, and I actually needed to listen. And I actually needed to be guided. And it's only more recently that I've discovered how if I want to get from where I am to where I want to be, I've got to start putting completely different principles in place. Because if I always do what I've always done, I'll always get what I've always had. And I'd had enough of that. And I didn't know how to do it. I tried every self-help book. I tried every seminar in every modality. But this is what got me well. And by the time I'd realized how sick I was, I was motivated to move forward. And I think that is what's led me to my life today. It is wonderful. Even though not every aspect is perfect and the way I'd love it to be there's always a new challenge but I've got a set of tools that I can apply in every situation and not only that but I can help other people do the same things and that's for me it I think the word is mitigates my past I wouldn't have wished it on anyone but because I've been through it I can help others find the handholds and the footholds to do the same. So I hope this message brings hope. Thank you, Michelle, for asking me to share this.
0: Thank you, Claire. I appreciate your wisdom, strength and service in this area. Adult children of alcoholics, also known as ACOA or referred to as ACA, Jodie K. Elliott shares, Remember your good memories, but live for today and keep the memories behind you. ACA is a program about finding freedom from the effects of alcoholism and other family dysfunction. ACA taught me that our families do the best they can from the place they are. Human beings have the longest childhood dependency of any species. Life is bound to cause crisis, which impacts our emotional, physical and spiritual development as vulnerable children. This dynamic can cause disconnection. Without help, we can unknowingly operate with ineffective thoughts and judgments as adults. Regression can be subtle, but it is there, sabotaging our decisions and thinking, according to the ACA fellowship text. I know it hurts when you come out of denial but it does not hurt forever. In my recovery in ACA, I learned about hurting, healing and helping. I believe that the family system is open for inspection. In this way, I can address the needs of my inner child, learn to truly parent myself and heal. As an adult child, I was not always aware of my feelings and the reason for my pain. These days, I can increase my access to clarity and hope. ACA shows me how to uncover the full picture with heartfelt gratitude. It helps me to find new levels of clarity on the spiritual journey. What I did learn was about being internally addicted. I have never been attracted to external dosing with drugs or alcohol. Still, I had a wake-up call I definitely owned a talent for using my own brain chemistry to generate a high. The body makes chemicals that can be as addictive as any external substance. For me, I uncovered how I used these internal biochemical releases. The inside drugs, like adrenaline, which relates to a fear of the future, and cortisol, which relates to a fear of the past, and there are some others. For me, examples of this in my life come to mind. As a teenager, I was an adrenaline junkie. I raced cars, loved living life in the danger lane, the excitement and the risk of speed. What I learned was that creating this cocktail brought me relief in my teen years. Adrenaline is an upper. And it helped me to deal with my feelings of anger around family behavior and other angst. As a young professional, I really got into workaholism. Doing 80 to 100 hour work weeks for decades was my norm, and that brought about problems. These days, I've addressed them. I am a work in progress, not a workaholic. I have become more aware of my emotions and how they play out in my perceptions my awareness of childhood trauma, and the impact of various dissociative states, I came to understand that denying the full remit of our remembrances of our trauma, such as childhood experiences, leaves us vulnerable. For me, linking family to dysfunction, making peace through acceptance and forgiveness, learning to reparent myself lovingly, has had great results. Being highly successful and functional in the external world has a price. If I cannot balance my connection to my inner world and my higher power, then I face impacts. This is a very valuable exercise in being conscious on your journey because these impacts affect your joy of living. What I've learned is find a meeting and a fellow traveler, explore the 12 steps, cha-cha-cha, step 1 get honest. Step two, connect to a higher power. And step three, find the serenity of surrender. I also enjoy a daily reader called Strengthening My Recovery, full of daily shares from adult children. This gives me a link to the wisdom and strength of others who've gone before me. I'm honored today to feature Claire M, who's going to share about her experience of ACA and also She's an example, like myself, of someone who takes multiple pathways to recovery and well-being. Welcome, Claire. Thank you, Michelle. My pleasure. My
2: journey began in ACA way before I really got serious. I have been in other recovery programs like many other ACAs. I was a seeker, a searcher, and among the many things I found was ACA. And I remember being asked, do you want to take up a journey with your inner child? And it was asked to me in a tone where I got distressed about it. It struck me as sentimentality. What I've later learned to call my critical parent, and I said, no. And it was many years later that I picked up the thread of ACA, which had, in the meantime, g- been been growing from strength to strength, I'm very happy to say. And I was ready, and I just wish I had pursued it on my first encounter. And not let my prejudices and my precondition and my reactions, which I learned later, were all symptoms of people suffering from the effects of dysfunction in the family. My family was blown apart, basically, by alcoholism. And I lived with the side of the family that weren't drinkers or druggers. So... It was very, very hidden to me as a child growing up that there was a massive, a major dysfunction happening. Mm, I had a brother, um, and he grew up in a different family. I still have that brother, I'm very happy to say. And I, unlike many families, um, there is absolutely no animosity between us, and I feel very, very fortunate. I pride myself now in good relationships with others, but there's very little of my family left to relate to. But that um, is because I'm quite long in the tooth. I'm quite late in my journey. And it's very interesting to be discovering the childlike qualities that are now recovered. And I'm um, how can I put it? It wouldn't have been that way, had it not been for the care and guidance from people in the program further on from me, because the emotional impact of uncovering, coming out of denial and uncovering this um, deficit of development within myself, um, being listened to with compassion And without judgment or interruption was um, a deliberate part of the ACA program of recovery. And to be able to listen to others' stories, I can't really find the words to describe how powerful a tune, how powerful a note that struck in me. And it really has begun a kind of singing in my soul, a joy of living that I didn't believe was possible. It wasn't without its painful times. And still, I can have anxiety. I can have dark times. Now I don't repress those times with Either my own critical thinking, what I learned to call the critical parent. I listen to my own self in the same way as I've listened to others. I don't abandon myself like I was abandoned in babyhood. I've learned to reparent, which is a skill that's encouraged in ACOA. And I've learned to do that because I've seen others do it. I've heard others describe it. I've been like a fly on the wall in others' lives. I don't interfere with others' lives. I simply listen. I simply listen. And for some reason, that holds the magic. It's not without its structure. ACA is very structured, very structured. And it's that structure that helped me feel safe. Because without the structure... We ACAs would not have the guidance and the discipline to be able to do the service we do for each other when we hold space. We're not professionals. We're not skilled in that manner. All we are is experienced. All we have is that experience. But once we know how to use it, we know how to use our heart, we know how to use our mind. We know how to use our bodies. And that's just magical. I don't know why it works. I don't know how it works. I just know it does. So if anyone listening to this podcast feels even the remotest glimmer of hope,
0: it's all been worthwhile. Thank you. The mind and body are inseparable and connected. We have to exist in the environments we inhabit. As put by David Bayer, CEO of Transformational Programs, are we blue mind beings trapped in a grey and red mind world? I encourage you, choose your actions wisely today. Your actions tell you and everyone who you are, who you choose to become in life and leadership. This is your choice. For me, I choose for my presence to be a living grace for others. Not a burden, not an irritation. There are some courageous pioneers who have crossed my path and have willingly contributed their time to this episode by being featured guests. There are numerous recovery tools online, ranging from support apps, meditation apps, podcasts, and numerous resources I will list at the bottom of the show notes. I wish you well on your journey in life and encourage your choice to discover and recover. Thank you for joining me. As a steward of meaningful leadership in the world and wider cosmos, I have a passion for service through sharing wisdom, strength, and hope. Thank you for the opportunity to foster open conversation, discussions, and an exchange of ideas that create understanding and connection among diverse groups. Your support is valued. Please subscribe, leave a review and a rating. More importantly, share with your connections. Thank you.